you for listening. Thank you for listening. To the Outstanding Ohioans. Outstanding Ohioans. Hello, welcome to Out- the Outstanding Ohioans show. My name is Ron Silico. This is episode 32, and this is part two of the interview that we had with Mark Epler. So this is a continuation from episode 31. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great day. Uh, Another real highlight of the book before we get into the seven principles is the Wright brothers never let school get in the way of their education. Could Could you talk about the formal schooling versus their educational process? Speaking of their partnership, before we go into the seven principles, can you talk about how Orville and Wilbur's strengths really played into the partnership? And and that was not a word used lightly. They really viewed themselves as equal partners in everything they did. in France, uh, demonstrating 
demonstrating the flyer and, and just absolutely amazing people in Europe because they had never seen uh, the flyer in action. Uh, Oral, on the other hand, was back in Fort Myer, Maryland, trying to get the flyer qualified for military applications. So Wilbur did all this work over there, and he was getting a tremendous amount of publicity. And he was, I mean, he was changing the culture of France. I mean, women were changing their clothes to try to imitate what Catherine, the sister, was wearing. And I mean, it was just, it was amazing. They all of a sudden the hat that Wilbur had became the great uh, desired product all over France. You know, French men wanted to wear Wilbur's hat, and he, he was literally, he was a rock star. So he participated in a race that was held annually. Uh, uh, it was called the Coupe de Michelin race. And the prize for winning the race, and this was the person who flew the, uh, the longest and the shortest amount of time, would win a 20,000 franc prize. Well, he flew and he won. And uh, so then Orville came over to, uh, to be there for the banquet when the prize would be uh, presented. When, they, when he got there, they gave the 20,000 francs to Orville, uh, excuse me, to Wilbur in cash. Uh, and he did something that was just really remarkable and kind of astounded everybody. He stood up there and he separated the cash into two equal stacks. And he walked over and he handed one of the stacks to Orville. So people would, would just look at that and say, you know, well, okay, he would just, he would just give me enough to take. What they didn't know was, was that Orville and Wilbur had a joint checking account. And it was going to all go back into the same pot anyway. Orville and Wilbur wanted to make sure that people visually saw that half of the honor and half of the glory and half of the credit for what they'd done should go to Wilbur. And boy, if you can get that kind of a mindset in a company, if you can just get a spirit of uh, trying to, to share the ownership of glory, Mm -hmm. Uh, Going into the seven principles, and the focus really is on problem solving. Uh, That's what I understand to be the theme of the book. Can you talk about forging as the first principle? Now, what made this successful 
And it's it's a difficult thing to get across because people are going to take it personal. And, and I and you mentioned in the book that it can't be personal, and, and you can't use personal wording when you're in the forging process. You need to be focus oh, yeah, focusing on. That's really that's really a key because you know it, 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 in this in the forging concept that I teach, um, we we want to make sure that uh, that agendas are open agendas, there's no hidden uh, or, or private uh, uh, objectives, uh, that the goal is always improvement, that participants feel safe in the process, um, uh, that the challenge is to get ideas uh, out, and, uh, and when we're listening, uh, we want to be listening for meaning and not just a form of response. Um, it, it's got to be positive and spirited. Um, Information has got to be shared. You can't have anybody withholding information so they have an advantage. Uh, so there are a lot of things that go to it. Um, but I like what Dale Carnegie said. He said, if two people on the job agree all the time, then one of them is useless. <laughs> and if they disagree all the time, then they're both useless. Mm-hmm. So we need a certain amount of disagreement in business uh, as a creating uh, force. Okay. Uh, the second principle to me is the most important one because I – in the way you laid it out, I, I really agreed with. We, I think, we all have a tendency at, at times to to brush the the big issue or the big item of the day aside in the in the appearance of staying busy and getting other things done. Number two is tackle the tyrant. Absolutely. Uh, we, you know, if you want to go back to the question that you asked me earlier about uh, managing your time effectively. Uh, and, I, and I said, really, I, uh, Alan Lakin's uh, comment when he said, uh, is this the best use of my time right now? 
that same concept, that same mental approach applies to this um, to this concept of tackling the tyrant. Now, the tyrant, by definition, so nobody gets confused, is the most difficult part of any problem. And it's the one part of the problem that if you can't solve it, you can't solve the, the whole. And a lot of people that were trying to solve the problem of flight spent a ton of money, just an obscene amount of money, uh, trying to do so. And they did it by trial and error. Well, the problem was, was that it was costing a fortune because every time you crash one of your uh, your, your prototypes, uh, you know, you're talking about hundreds if not thousands of dollars. And, uh, and so it was a very small rate, but it didn't have that kind of money. They were bicycle builders, and they, uh, you know, they were building this thing with uh, the money that they earned out of that bicycle business. So what they did was that they sat down and they said, okay, what is the unsolvable problem, or what we see as the unsolvable problem right now? And so as they did, uh, they they went on and said, okay, this is the problem, and the problem was, uh, how do you how do you how do you how do you overcome the problem of inherent instability? And so they looked at that and they worked on that. Had they not been able to resolve that question, they wouldn't have gone any further. But uh, so applying this to a uh, to a to a business scenario, you've got a challenge, you've got a, a, a problem that you have to solve, and it's a multifaceted problem. Most, most problems have a lot of subsets, and so you sit down and you sit there and you, you say, okay, well, there's five subsets to this problem. The first one is pretty easy. The fifth one is really difficult. I'm going to work on the easy one now because that'll kind of get my confidence going and I'll feel good about myself. And then when I get to number two, uh, we'll see how that works out. But what happens is you get to number five, you can't solve it. Now you've wasted a good deal of money. So what we're telling people to do is to identify the target. You know, make sure that you don't go any further and then uh, you will be able to uh, uh, to solve the problem uh, efficiently and productively. Uh, by the way, I just just comment about the Wright brothers and the, and the question of inherent instability. Uh, because they sat down and they uh, uh, tackled they, uh, that first, they came up with uh, the fact that they were answering the, they were asking the, right, the wrong question. Uh, everybody was saying, how do we solve the problem of inherent instability? In other words, they, they all knew that the crafts that were being uh, developed when you tried to fly them, they were all over the place. The Wright brothers asked the right question, which was, how can we manage instability? Mm-hmm. And the reason they were able to make that, uh, that, that distinction was because they were bicycle boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the big things, that you remember when you first learned to bicycle? Balance. Yeah, but I mean, when you started out, you were all over the place, right? Right. So instead of trying to figure out how do I change the bike so that it won't be uh, unstable, what you did was, is that you learned to manage the instability. And, and think of that, Ron, because that's really, really impactful, because if you apply that concept to business, in effect, that's what we're telling people, is that you will no longer, you can't get rid of the ambiguity, you can't get rid of the uncertainty, you can't get, get rid of the gray area, but you can learn to manage the instability. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, principle three, fiddling. Well, we talked about that a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. Basically, what that's the concept of just uh, uh, just being able to. Uh, it's, a, it's a conceptual and a tactile 
personal experience. And what we're saying is, is that we want people in the process of trying to solve these problems to encourage their staff to look for uh, connections, uh, to look for comparisons, contrast, turn it over in your hands, let people feel it. In my, in my workshops, what I, what I do is I, uh, I, I have bags of Legos. And I give everybody a bag of Legos. And I said, you know, just, just play with these during the day. And you know, don't worry about it. There's no deadline. Uh, just kind of put something together. And uh, we'll talk about it when we get done. So when we finished, everybody has created something. Uh, some of them are pretty awful, but you know, some of them are pretty fascinating. <laughs> but none of them are alike. And that's the point that I want to get out of there, is that if you, as you look at your creations, the fact of the matter is, in the process of fiddling, you all came up with something different. And that's the, what you do when you do that, is you create an unbelievable reservoir or possible ideas and possible solutions for your problem. Because, you know, another one of my rules uh, is, is that uh, you must always look for the second right answer. Mm-hmm. Or maybe even the third right answer. Uh, but you don't want to just go with the first right answer alone because it may not necessarily be the most productive one. Uh, so that principle basically is just one of uh, uh, continuing to, uh, to play play with ideas, turn them over in your head, in your mind, or maybe even do it practically with your hands um, until you begin to uh, uh, tinker with it a bit, and then eventually a solution will uh, be teased out of it. You know, I read that principle last week, and... I immediately applied it uh, when my boys brought the Legos out uh, to play in our living room. I, I hid the box so there were, they would not see any pictures of what they were supposed oh, to build. Man. So and so they were they were building towers and all kinds of neat things. So that that was a that was a neat application right off the bat with that one. <laughs> and uh, it's just kind of a, a side story here. I one day I was, I was she was coloring and she colored her monkeys purple. And I looked at her and I said, uh, I said, Bella, I said, you know, those yeah, monkeys aren't purple. Monkeys are brown. And she says, in my world, monkeys are purple. <laughs> Fourth principle seems to be, you know, just like number one, a hard one for organizations to get their heads around, mind warping. But what people don't 
ever do if they don't realize that there's a purpose for the box. So two things. Number one, they don't realize that there's a purpose for the box. And number two, they don't realize that they haven't mastered everything in the box. Okay, so what I'm telling people is don't throw a box away. And what we're trying to do, and, and the way I teach this, the way I show it, is that uh, that I take a purple and I make a box. And the box represents structure. It represents uh, known uh, uh, known knowledge as it relates to the problem we're talking about. Um, and and that and that's your box. And then the circle represents this out of the box mindset. And then what I ask them to do is just mentally, or actually physically, we do it. We we push the circle over a corner of the box, and so we include a sector of the box where the circle and the box meet. And I call that area in there uh, the air, the area of uh, of creative possibility. Uh, it's it's creative possibility because it's a creative, but b it's also uh, the, the smallest amount of risk. So what we're asking people to do, and I, I chose the name by the Warping, kind of based a little bit on the principle of the Wright Brothers uh, wing warping concept. You know, they they understood or they developed the idea that uh, uh, that, that that you could control the direction the plane would fly by warping the wings. And so what they had to do is they had to come up with something that was both flexible and rigid at the same time, which seems like a, a contradiction. Mm -hmm. That's what they needed. And if I can step back for a second to the concept of fiddling, mm -hmm. uh, the way that that solution came about was when Sir Wilbur was talking with the customer. A customer had bought a, a bicycle inner tube, and it came shipped in a box that was about the size of the spaghetti boxes that you get today at the, at the grocery store. Only it was square, and it was about 12 inches long. He's talking with this guy, and he's got this in his hands, and he's just kind of just twisting it on each end and rotating it. And as he fiddled with this box, he began to realize that there was a way to create flexibility and strength at the same time. And so really just fiddling with that box, that inner tube box, uh, helped to give him the solution to the problem of, uh, of, of controlling the aircraft in the air. So what I'm saying is, is that minor warping is like wing warping. You have to have rigidity and you have to have uh, flexibility. So we want people to uh, to, to engage their perplexities, uh, to activate their curiosity, uh, and to get comfortable with ambiguity. But at the same time, we want them to understand, uh, you know, that landing gear is just as important as wings. Right, right. Fifth principle: relentless preparation. Again, I, I, you know, we touched on it briefly just a minute ago, but that is the idea that you you you're you're a forever learner; that you absolutely. Uh, Absolutely, never stop trying to, to feed your brain. Uh, my hero, you asked me who my heroes were growing up. Well, my hero, uh, one of my heroes was my dad. I told you about him. Uh, my dad lived to be 91 years old. Mm. Um, the day he died, uh, when we were going through and getting things uh, straightened up and everything, I found four library books uh, that, that weren't passed to. And so that meant that literally within the last week or so of his life, he was still reading every day. And that's what I'm trying to get people to understand, is that, is that reading has got to become such an insatiable desire. That we have to have such an appetite for stories and knowledge and, and, and possibilities uh, that reading has got to become almost as important as breathing. 
<laughs> Principle six, measure twice. Have you ever had the experience of measuring something and cutting it and then finding out that it wasn't right? Oh, yes. Yeah, well, I have too. And as a matter of fact, I, I don't even want to tell you how many times I've done that. <laughs> um, and basically what we're talking about is an ounce of prevention at the beginning is uh, so much more valuable than, uh, uh, than the alternative. And for the Wright Brothers, the, uh, the Measure Twice concept, uh, you know, the Wright Brothers' invention was the most well-documented invention in history. Uh, because the Wright brothers took meticulous notes, and, and you know they were pioneers in, in photography as well. So they actually had photographic uh, uh, proof of what they were doing, and that was why they were doing it, so they could prove that it was their their invention. And so the idea then was that they wanted to make sure that everything was done with incredible meticulousness. Uh, and remember, I told you the uh, the Wright mother uh, the mother said that be sure to make your mistakes on paper if possible. Well, that's what she was speaking to. So measure twice is a, is a problem solving principle that says that the most efficient way to solve a problem is just being meticulous uh, in your your approach. And the the message there is make your mistakes on paper. Great, great. Uh, last principle: force multipliers. Mm -hmm. partnership and how they, uh, how they actually work with each other. And so we're trying to translate that, obviously, to, to the business environment. Uh, and what we're, what we're saying, in effect, you remember I told you the story about sharing the crypto Michelin uh, prize? That uh, was a key part of that partnership, is the, uh, the fact that all glory uh, would, be, would be shared. Uh, but then there were other things that would be shared as well, and that was the, uh, the concept that there would be uh, a trust between the two people, that power would be no one brother had power over the other. And the interesting thing about it is, that once it, not very often, but once in a while I get an opportunity to talk to some kids uh, about this, and, uh, and, and I will say, who solved the problem of flight? You know what answer they always give? The Wright brothers. Right, right. Nobody ever says will, nobody ever says horrible. They always say the brothers. So they literally, they, their partnership was so seamless that they became one entity, the brothers. Mm -hmm. And and a key part of that, and this is what we're trying to teach, is you got to have trust, you got to have equal sharing of power, you got to have equal effort. You can't have any performers that are, that are giving less than anybody else. I always tell managers, I said, if you're putting up with somebody that um, uh, that is not giving an effort as good as the rest of the people, then what you're doing is you're resetting your standing, the standard of excellence. That, that whatever uh, whatever level of, of, of quality we're willing to tolerate becomes our standard of excellence. And so equal effort was, was essential. Sharing the profits, sharing the honor. All fairly distributed, and uh, if you if you do this, then you're going to have the kind of uh, equitable teamwork that it takes to uh, to get your uh, to get your problems off the ground. Great. Uh, the last chapter of the book uh, speaks to people in the audience that may either feel this way or know someone that that's in this situation where they it's someone that hasn't found their path yet. And now in, in this chapter, you really talk about that being the case with Wilbur. Can you expound on that? Yeah, it was interesting because early on, the, the brothers, neither one 
had an idea of just what it was uh, that they could do. And, and they were just, they, they, nothing engaged their passion, nothing engaged their, their interest. And uh, they knew, both of them feel, felt that they had a calling, but they weren't sure what it was. And in the process of doing this, they, they began searching for, for what that might be. And they, they probably eventually stumbled onto the idea of flight. By the way, their, their interest wasn't first in flight. Their interest was in what problem hasn't been solved before that we could solve. Mm-hmm. And flight was the first one that came across. So they were struggling. Uh, Wilbur was, uh, gosh, he was lost. He was, uh, he, he just didn't know what he wanted to be. And Orville had started the printing business, and then Wilbur got involved in the printing business, but neither one of them felt like they were called to the printing business. And it wasn't until they came across this, uh, this problem of flight that they really uh, became uh, excited about it, that they really began to, uh, to be what I describe in the book as souls on fire. And that, basically that uh, uh, comes from a quote by uh, Ferdinand Fogg. He said, the most powerful weapon on earth is a human soul on fire. And so uh, they got into it and disengaged their passions. And I, I love a letter that uh, that Wilbur Wright wrote to Akbash uh, another aviation uh, pioneer in Chicago, uh, requesting some information. And he wrote, he said, I'm affected with the belief that man can fly. And I'm afraid it will one day cost me all my money, if not my life. And so what we're telling people is, is that we all have something uh, that we can become afflicted with. And, uh, uh, and that's what we have to do is we have to find, you know, not, the what is not as important as the, uh, does, it, does it fire your passion? Do you have an affliction for accomplishing that? Uh, because if if we do, big things going to happen. And for the audience, that's why I, I love this book, and I don't want to use the word manual uh, because we talked about that in the gray area. But to me, to me, this book really gets people gives people ideas on how to develop that culture of creative thinking, critical thinking, and problem solving. So it, it's, a, it's a great read, and I encourage everyone to get a copy of this. Uh, Mark, could you talk a little bit about – I haven't read the book Management Mess-Ups yet, but could you tell me one, one of those mess-ups? I think you had 57 that you talk about in the book. John Barrier uh, walked out, I 
And the next day he came back and he moved half of his banking business to another bank and then he moved half of it to another bank still. And that business was a little over two and a half million dollars. Hmm. How can listeners learn more about you, Mark? Well, I visit our website, www.markempler.com, and that's M-A-R-K-E-P-P-L-E-R. Obviously, they can go online and Google my name, and there's a, uh, I've been blessed to have quite a few articles uh, that have been been written, so there's a pretty good body of information there. Uh, If they're interested in learning more about uh, using the Mark, if you could hold the line, I'm going to sign off on the show here. And I I really want to thank you for being a guest on the Outstanding Ohioans today. Well, it's my pleasure, and I hope that people will realize that uh, uh, that I am a minor part of this story. Uh, <laughs> it is the, uh, the right brothers that uh, have given us a problem-solving model, uh, and, and that, as much as the uh, solution to, to the problem of flight, is the gift that they left behind. Great. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Outstanding Ohioans. This was episode 31 with my guest, Mark Epler, speaker, seminar leader, and author. Please take the time to go to iTunes or Stitcher and leave a rating on the show. Thank you for listening. Have a great day.